This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Marbu Brown. He's the founder of the Customer Obsession Advantage, a firm dedicated to helping companies achieve transcendent business results through customer obsession. He's an accomplished customer experience executive and with a track record of thought leadership and signature business results at some of the most iconic companies on the planet, including JPMorgan Chase, Amazon.com, Microsoft Corporation, and Cisco Systems. He transformed the Andon cord mechanism at Amazon.com from a primary manually triggered system to a primarily automated system triggered by a machine learning and statistical models. The Andon cord is one of the Amazon's.com's most significant mechanisms it uses to personify its customer obsession culture. Marbu, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Nick, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend this time with you, and I'm looking forward to us having a, a very stimulating discussion. Yeah, you are welcome. Uh, one question I ask every single guest at the very beginning to kick it off is, what's one thing people might not know about you? Well, one thing people might not know about me is um, that I, I'm actually a first-generation immigrant. I was born and raised in another country in West Africa. I was born and raised in Liberia. So I uh, immigrated to the United States uh, when I went to graduate school at The Ohio State University. And uh, so I've, I've been here ever since. Love it. Go Buckeyes. Go Bucks. <laughs> So what's I one thing? Michigan people out there don't hate what I'm about to say just because I'm a Buckeye. But <laughs> exactly, exactly. We we all know what's coming up here at the, around Thanksgiving time. So that's right. We'll, we'll nudge them a little bit. So what's one thing that you miss about uh, where you grew up? Oh, you know, first of all, when I think about where I grew up, I know that it's it's not the 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 place that I I left anymore. Hmm? You know, I enjoyed growing up in a very favorable environment. And I just, I wish Liberia could be like it was when I was a kid, right? Yeah, so I guess mostly what I can say is I miss the people. We're all scattered all over the world, if you will, people that I grew up with. And I don't get a chance to engage with them as much as I did, you know, when when we were growing up together. Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for sharing. And so where I want to start today is is from the beginning because obviously the book customer obsession is the focus and i had the opportunity to to dig into it and that's where a lot of the questions will come today but mm -hmm. let me start off by asking what does customer obsession mean to you well look customer obsession is an extreme focus on the customer that mm -hmm. causes companies to do things that actually make their competitors scratch their heads. Even competitors who are customer focused or customer centric, they don't go to some of those extremes. And so that's what customer obsession is, right? They take extra steps that uh, the other companies don't do. And it's not just one thing, but it's a, a collection of things that come together that set these companies apart. 
And, you know, they there's an exceptionalism about what they do on the customer side, on the employee side, that actually sets them apart from, from their competitors. And Nick, you kind of uh, mentioned the book, but we didn't mention it in the opening. So let me, let me just say that um, the book that these questions are coming from is called Blueprint for Customer Obsession. So I'll just say that. And as we continue to go along more and more, we'll become clear what that is all about. Yeah. And thanks for bringing that up. And I think it's the whole goal is to create a blueprint and it's not to it's not to say do these hundred things and you're going to be absolutely customer obsessed. It's uh, here's what a lot of your customer obsessed organizations are doing. And here's some of my thoughts around that to, to build that framework. So you have the best chance of success to creating that customer obsession. Is that, is yeah. that a good synopsis? Yeah, because- Absolutely, because it's not, um, you know, it's not exactly the same template for everybody, right? I mean, in the book, what we do is we take a look at 10 different companies that are in that customer obsessed category. And look, there's a lot of similarities between those companies in terms of the the broad principles, right? That's that's where the similarities are. But how they implement those principles varies from company to company, right? Now, in the end, they get the same types of results, but, you know, it's not cookie cutter that everybody has to do exactly the same thing. Absolutely. So what's the value of getting getting into that customer obsessed realm and, and focusing on that? Well, let me highlight two things. One is um, the folks who actually make it to what I'll call the customer obsession ideal. And, and I don't want to make it seem like it's just like you you get to the top of the mountain and, and then there's nowhere to go after that. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but but let's just say that there is an ideal to a team, right? And, and the folks who get there, on the one hand, their, their customers are not just casual consumers. Their customers are fans. These are the people who talk about, you know, um, the, the product that they bought or the place that they shop or whatever the case. And they're just constantly talking about about those places and you start thinking, I gotta have some of that. I mean, so so their 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 customers are not just casual consumers, they're fans, they're loyalists. Look, I, I think the most extreme thing I've seen, okay, is where people are so enamored with some of these companies that they've actually tattooed um their stuff on their bodies. You know, I mean there's people who have uh the the Costco Kirkland uh logo tattooed on their arms and stuff like that. I mean, so you know that that that's totally extreme. But their customers are fans. But let me tell you the other thing. These folks, um, their business results are off the charts. So if you look at a company like Costco, I mean, you got to pay to shop there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they've got more than a hundred million people who pay to shop there, right? And their renewal rates are in excess of 90%. Okay. So people pay to shop there and they keep paying to shop there. That's, you know, another level of loyalty, if you will. Right. And so that gives you an idea of why it's worth it to get there. Your customers are fans and your business results are off the charts. So let's stop there. I, you, you mentioned Kirkland. I always love to ask uh, audiences. What would what, what tattoo would you get of a company and why? And uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Kirkland. I I may or may not have a healthy healthy 
obsession with with Costco, but you know, <laughs> what is the value that they're bringing similar to to keep their people at that 90 some percent renewal rate? Okay, well, let's talk about some of the things that um, Costco does that are, are different than, than other companies. Mm-hmm. So first of all, if you think about Costco, you can do Costco online. But you know what? Half the fun of doing Costco is doing Costco in person, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Costco, um, actually, there, there's something that people sometimes refer to as a Costco treasure hunt, okay? Because every time you go to Costco... There are things that you see while you're in Costco that you were not there to buy, but you say to yourself, well, why wouldn't I buy that if that's the price it's going to be, <laughs> you know, or why wouldn't I buy that? Because I'm going to get a cash back reward when I buy that. So you know what? I'm going to put new floors in my house, but why would I go buy it somewhere else? I buy it here because I'm going to get my cash back thing and I'm going to shop here anyway. So I'm going to come back here, here and, and, and buy that. Right. So, you know, there's that ever present Costco treasure hunt, if you will, that, you know, that you're going to meet up with every time that, that you, you walk into that store. Right. Or, Hey, if you bought something and it didn't work out for you, Okay, you always know that you can take it back to Costco. You know you can take it back to Costco even if you had a long time. Now, sometimes you have to ask yourself, why would anybody do that? You know, who does that, if you will? And, uh, you know, I was um, speaking to someone else and he said, these folks had some frozen pizzas in their uh, freezer. They were moving, they found those frozen pizza. After who knows how long, they took it back and got a refund. But that's, you know, people can shop with total confidence, right? Because they know if if something doesn't work out, they can always take it back. So these are a couple of different ways, you know, that that Costco um, delivers value um, for their customers. These days, uh, with the price of gas, what it is, uh, you've seen the long lines in Costco for people to get gas, right? Mm -hmm. I could go on, but my basic point is that, um, you know, they they deliver this type of value. And while I'm at it, I'm going to throw out one of the one of the principles that I talk about in the book um, that separates out um, the customer obsessed companies. And that has to do with giving customers what they want before they know they need it. When I think of that treasure hunt piece that I laid out just now, that's one of the ways that Costco gives people what they want before they know they need it. That's part of how they add value. I love the the treasure hunt. And uh, I just found uh, chicken tortilla soup comes in a two pack and uh, it's it's better than I thought it was going to be. And if I didn't like it, I knew I could return it. So there's there just one more thing. If all those Costco people who are who are perusing for the next thing, uh, go find that chicken tortilla soup. There you um, go. <laughs> so, you know, let's say that there's already somebody talks about this CX obsession and they're not necessarily in customer experience yet. And they're just kind of getting in. Maybe they they fat fingered it and they typed in the wrong the wrong podcast and they are cert- they're listening to this episode right now. And they're saying, man, when it comes to customer experience, isn't just a, another leadership principle among equals? 
What's your, what's your thoughts to that? What's your response to that? Well, my response to that is that if customer obsession is going to be one of your guiding principles, number one, you have to make sure that other principles that you have don't conflict with. Because if they do, then you're not going to get customer obsession, right? And, and so, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, I think of Amazon and I think of some of the leadership principles that um, that company has. Um, one of the leadership principles is ownership, right? And here's the deal. If you think like an owner, you're going to treat customers differently than if you think like an employee, right? Now, I give you a, a scenario that happened to me recently. Um, I, uh, I had folks come out to winterize my um, sprinkler system in my yard, okay? So um, when the gentleman comes to knock out the door and tell me he's here to do it, I said, hey, while you're here, I have a sprinkler head that's broken. I'd like you to fix that. And he says, oh, I'm not here for that. If I fix that sprinkler head, I got to charge you a separate service charge. And, uh, you know, then, then I can fix it. And I said, okay, never mind. I'm not using it anyway. You're about to turn the system off. So here's what it will do. Um, you go ahead, do what you have to do. When it's springtime, I'm going to find another company that's not going to charge me a separate um, charge. And I'll have them, you know, turn on my system and fix my uh, sprinkler head. So he goes about his business and he said, oh, I found a sprinkler head in the backyard. I know there's uh, no way uh, they left it like that. You guys must have put some more dirt on top of it. And, and I fixed it. And so I'm going to have to charge you for that. So I asked him, I said, well, so I, I said, well, show me which one you fixed. So it wasn't the one that I wanted fixed. So um, the one that I wanted fixed, he didn't fix it. He fixed a different one and he wanted to charge me for it. So I called him up and, uh, you, you know, I said, how do, how do you guys want to deal with this? Because, you know, I, I don't see like, you know, that. I didn't get what I wanted fixed. I got something else fixed and you guys want to charge me for it. I'm not okay with that. And, you know, they kept insisting that I needed to pay for it. So I sent the owner an email. So, you know, I'm sitting at home and there's a knock on my door. And who's at my door? It's the owner. So the owner comes in, he sees what went on. He spends like 15 minutes with me. He fixed the one that I wanted fixed in the first place. He didn't charge me anything for it. He didn't even tell me I had to pay for the other one, right? That's how an owner thinks. It, you know, that, and you can see how those two things are like so closely related. Mm -hmm. That leadership principle of ownership. That's how an owner thinks because the owner wants to keep that customer, right? Um, they want that customer to be a fan. But the employee didn't think like that. They kept telling me the same thing over and over again. Okay, so you can see how these two things are really inextricably linked. And so you've got to make it so that your leadership principles are not conflicting with one another, right? And if customer obsession is that guiding principle, you, you, you've got to uh, be in a position where your other principles are not conflicting. Let me say one last thing. Okay, I'll give you one more principle. And there's a principle, think big. Okay. Well, look, a lot of times customers don't ask for things because they don't think anybody's ever going to give it to them. And, but thinking big 
as a principal allows you to say, you know what, I'm not just going to think of the things that I think we can do, right? I'm going to go past that and I'm going to go to what the customer needs. I'm going to try to give them that, right? Give them that. So basic point is these, um, these principles have to be reinforcing one another. And um, if customer obsession is a principle, you got to make sure the other principles kind of orbit around customer obsession and make sure that there's nothing conflicting. Mm, I like that, how they orbit around. So they're, so what one's the earth and the other one's the, the sun? <laughs> well, I think that's, well, yeah. So the, the, the sun is customer obsession and we're all already around that, right? That's right. <laughs> I like it. And sometimes it's darker on parts of those seasons than others. I, I like it. Um, so you mentioned think like an owner because um, going back to that real quick with the owner knocking on your door, you told the person who was at, at the very beginning who didn't who didn't treat you the way you wanted to be treated, didn't, you know, respect your time because you're like, hey, you know what, I'm I'm taking time out of my day too. It's mm-hmm. not just it's not just you that are 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 getting billed. There's there's two that that need to tango in this relationship. How did that when the when the owner showed up, obviously you felt probably appreciated, but did it change your mind on if you were going to do business with them again next year? 100%. 100% because I know the owner's always going to make good. And, um, you know, I, I said a couple of times, hey, Warren, I, I, I wasn't expecting you to show up at my door. And he said, you didn't ask. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you didn't ask for me to show up at your door, but but I'm offering that, right? Mm-hmm. Because... A, he wanted me to make sure that I understood, you know, what what their policy was all about and why it, it was the way it was. B, he wanted me to understand these folks actually did not communicate properly to me, right? Um, so he just wanted to, to make sure that I had a positive feeling and a positive outcome and understand how the business really works and, and how it's supposed to work for me. Right. Um, so 100 percent, it did. It did um, make me think of the whole experience differently. So there's a difference between the characteristics of an owner versus the characteristics of an employee. And so to switch it up a little bit, what are the characteristics of being customer obsessed? Well, look, there's a lot to unpack in 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 terms of, of being customer obsessed. Right. But I want to I want to take a few of these um, principles and and just uh, you know talk about them, right? So I talked about that whole notion of of giving customers what they want before they know they need it, right? And look, if you work backwards from the customer, you'll always get to those things, right? That that the customer actually wants, mm-hmm. okay? And and so you know. We, we, we gave the um, example from Costco, but let's let's take another example. Recently, the, the most recent versions of the iPhone can now make a call to indicate that you've been in an automobile accident. OK, now you wouldn't have asked Apple to give you that feature, but 
but now that that feature's there, people are glad that it's there, right? Or the latest iWatch, iWatch has features that enable people to do family planning kinds of things, right? And who would have thunk it, right? I mean, you know, but but it's one of those things that they thought about that people would need. And now people have that. It's like they are absolutely glad to have that capability, right? So when you start thinking about, um, you know, principles that have to do with customer obsession, you're working back from the customer. You're thinking and being in the customer's shoes, right? Um, that enables you to go for those things and, and give the customer what they want, um, you know, be, before they know they, they need it, right? Another thing that we talked about was, um, you know, the, the piece that has to do with um, going to the extreme, right? And, you know, one great example of that is um, the Costco return policy. That That's one of those things that, that's out there, you know, that, that's a little extreme. Um, but look, who puts other companies on their own platform to compete against them? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's extreme. Amazon does that, right? And why does Amazon do that? Why do they put other companies on their platform to compete against their own retail organization? They do that because they know that they can't give customers all of the selection that customers would like to have. They know that they can't always give customers the prices that customers would want to have, right? But they do know that if other people are on their own platform, um, they can expand that selection. They can create better prices, right? And and so you know when you um, when you are customer obsessed, you do those kinds of things, and other people look at you and they scratch their head and they say, "Why would you ever do that? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make financial sense." But in the long run, it actually does wind up making financial set, right? So if you subscribe to this principle that if it's good for the customer, it's good for business, maybe you might not be able to right away connect all the dots to the financial benefit. But it turns out that if you look at these companies that have taken um, these approaches, um, they always wind up on the upside. And they always wind up doing better than their competitors. You know, I mean, take the airline industry. I'll just use one more example. Airline industry, right? You know, airlines are always talking about not making money. But Southwest Airlines isn't one of those airlines. Okay. Now, Southwest has this uh, saying, bags fly free. The other people are charging for the bags, but they still aren't making any money. You know, it's like, what gives, right? The customer-obsessed companies are doing the things that are right for their customers. They're working backwards from the customer. And, you know, like people will think, well, that shouldn't be able to work because, you know, I can charge for that. But these folks are making profits year after year after year. I mean, they have 40 plus years of, um, you know, of profit making with the only exception being, you know, during the year of the pandemic 
right? And wow, these other folks are always griping about not making any money. Mm-hmm. So what gives? Yeah, it's it's interesting the people that are complaining about not making money, but still will not focus on will focus on the task that is immediately in front of them instead of the the focusing on the the obsession of the customer. You you mentioned Amazon. Amazon could easily add their they now have a a ridiculous amount of option opportunities or options for to buy anything from socks to to you know uh, an appliance and it has a brand now that has Amazon on it if they actually just cared about the the product and making the most amount from that product they would they would actually do less because they're inviting everybody to the party and saying it's the customer's choice and sometimes when it's the Amazon choice that you see on Amazon it's not an Amazon backed product. That's right. So I think that, that's that, that, that's absolutely correct. And guess what? It forces the folks at Amazon Essentials who are building those products to to keep fine tuning the quality of those products and improving the pricing of those products because that's what's going to make it competitive with the with the other stuff that's that's out there. So they're putting their product and the competitor's product out there in the same space. Okay, but if you're working backwards from the customer, that means you have to keep making this product better and better and better until it's as good as the other one out there and the price is as good or the price is better, right? It's the only way it's going to win. Yeah, and and sticking on Amazon just a little bit, I know you spent some time there and you had the opportunity to to work with uh, Jeff Bezos and um, you you were one of one of many people that got the question mark email. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Tell me more about that. And as things don't go as planned, there's always a an opportunity. And with Jeff, the 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 top person at at Amazon at the time put his email out there and he's like if anything if anything doesn't work or if anything's an issue you can send it to me and obviously he didn't send that to everybody but when things don't go didn't go as planned there was a question mark that he got forwarded on or forwarded on to somebody else who could fix the problem um what was that like when you got that question mark email let me, let me tell you how question mark emails work, right? So mm-hmm. customer outside has a problem. Usually um, it's it's what's referred to as a snowball type of a problem, right? You know, they've been trying to get this solved. It's not getting solved. Um, they send Jeff email and then Jeff um, puts a question mark on that email and he sends it down, uh, down the chain. The highest ranking person who has overall responsibility for solving that problem 
that lands on their desk and then they have to answer it. Now, Andon Court was one of the things that actually got put in place to kind of make it so that, you know, some of these question mark emails didn't have to happen, mm-hmm. right? And um, so, you know, every now and then, um, there was a question mark email that didn't just say question mark. It said question mark and on court. Okay. And then you know whose desk that was going to land on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, because if it said question mark and on court, then that, I meant, you know, I think and on court should have solved this problem before, um, you know, the customer ever had to deal with it. And um, so, you know, that meant we had to, to, to put together an answer for it. Now, let me tell you something about that answer. When you, when you got a question mark email, there's pieces that have to come together. Number one, you have to solve the immediate problem that this customer was experiencing. And you would have worked with executive customer relations, um, you know, to, to solve that immediate problem. But the bigger thing was when Jeff put a question mark on an email, it was like, how do we solve this systemically? so that you don't have a bunch of other people having the same problem, right? And so you and your team had to troubleshoot that issue, right? You had to get to the bottom of it and understand what were all the things in the critical path that had to be solved. And you had to line up all of these other organizations that might be participating in that solution, get commitments from them, right? So that you know you could go back with an email that actually says, this is the problem, this is how we're gonna solve it, this is when they're gonna be solved. You know, these are the commitments. And of course, if people were making those commitments, that meant that you know they had to be honored because if at any point Jeff could come back and say, you know, whatever happened to this thing you guys promised that you were gonna do, or whatever happened to that. Well, hopefully he never had to ask because those were all done and those commitments were all made. Now I'll say one more thing. A lot of times you have scenarios where, um, you, you have scenarios where you the company knows that there's something that needs to be done, but it's not getting done because other things keep other things keep beating it in prioritization. Mm-hmm. Well, if a question mark email came down and you made those promises, let's just say those things were gonna get done because other things were not going to beat them in prioritization, right? Okay, because you've made those commitments all the way up the chain. And um, so, and everybody between you and Jeff knew that these commitments have been made, right? Um, You know, so everybody's watching and those things have to get taken care of. And let me tell you, it's a beautiful way to make sure that persistent problems just go away, right? Um, So, you know, uh, that that gives you a little bit of insight in, into, you know, what a cu- question mark email is like and, and, and how it makes a difference. Right. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate the background. I've always wondered what that what that looked like and and what was the process behind it. I think at the end of the day, when the question mark email goes up and the person that's ultimately in charge uh, with if it's end on or, or something else, uh, the buck stops with, with them. And the whole goal is to add friction internally to reduce the friction externally. Um, because you had to hurry up and get a bunch of commitments and saying, what is the information that we need to provide back up to leadership or fix the problem where the leadership doesn't have to get involved here moving forward. 
And uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I'll tell you one more thing that uh, uh, it, it's an it's a, I'll also call it a principle. And that is that um, one of the things that, that Jeff would say is that, um, you know, if your anecdotes and your data don't agree, maybe your data hasn't caught up with your anecdotes yet. Okay, and and it, it's interesting because um, that led us to focus on some things that some folks would say. Well, there's not all this data that actually says that this is a problem yet, right? But if you didn't solve that problem, you know, quickly enough, you'd find, hey, the data will catch up with the anecdotes, and all of a sudden you have a bigger problem on your hand. Right. So let's go back to where we started and. Is is customer obsession? You know what happens when customer obsession is lacking? What happens when organizations are not absolutely customer obsessed? Well, look, um, when when organizations are not customer obsessed, that can be at a bunch of different levels, right? I mean, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book in, in Blueprint for Customer Obsession is what we call the customer obsession continuum. Okay, and you've got companies that are all the way from customer indifferent, okay? That would be a lot of spaces where, <laughs> where customer obsession is lacking, mm -hmm. all the way up to companies that are customer-centric. Now, those ones, fewer scenarios where, where customer obsession is lacking. But let's, let's settle there to talk about what happens when customer obsession is lacking, right? So... And I'm going to tell you that what's lacking in those companies is consistency, right? So look, when you when you have a customer obsessed organization, um, wow experiences are consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's always some person or another who's posting um, some viral thing about a phenomenal experience that they had with that company. You know, they're they're always winding up on the news for some phenomenal thing that people, you know, experienced. Um, there, 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 there's this consistency, right? But in the um the companies that are not customer obsessed, you'll get them here, you'll get them there, but it's not always the same kind of experience over and over and over that 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 people are having. Or even look, when you think about the messaging that comes from the top down, right? The messaging isn't necessarily consistent um, mm -hmm. to the employees. So you've got some things that are saying, be customer obsessed, and some incentives that are saying, I'm going to incentivize you for doing something that's not customer obsessed, yeah. right? You've got that kind of inconsistency. Um, so, you know, there's the thing that is, is lacking um, a lot of the time is that you don't have this consistency over and over where you keep wowing your customers and even your employees are, are you know, they, they get the message because they can see that it's all aligned, it's all consistent, it's all putting the customer in the center. Yeah, couldn't agree more on that and uh, have a ton more questions, but um want to want to respect your time so i wrap up every podcast with two questions and the first question is um 
What book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? Well, you know, I mean, look, there, there's there's a lot of things that I've I've spent time um, looking at, but uh, you know, the guy who founded uh, Trader Joe's wrote a book called Becoming Trader Joe, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's not necessarily a person in um, you know customer service per se. He, he he was the founder of the company, but look, I I found um, his journey to be incredibly insightful and really. I, I like to look at scenarios where people have lived the journey, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's uh, one um, that uh, really has caught my attention. And then um, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this name fully correctly, but Leonardo Ingolari and Micah Solomon wrote a book called um, Exceptional um, Service, Exceptional Profits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's some great stuff in there as well um, that, uh, you know, they have uh, brought to light. And, and that tells a bit about, you know, the whole Ritz-Carlton um, story and, and how they became um, exceptional at, at delivering service. And I would put them in the customer obsessed category, if you will. Um, so um, those are a couple that uh, really have caught my attention. That's great. Yeah, I, those those are great. I mean, even the the customer, the Trader Joe's, they're absolutely cus, customer obsessed. Uh, you can go to any other grocery or most other grocery places, and they're not going to have the obsession. I'm sure there's people that have a Trader Joe tattoos on their arm as we, <laughs> as we speak. Uh, so good stuff. Um, the last question I have is: if you could leave a note to all customer service or customer experience professionals, it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m. What would it say? Well, what I would say is remember that you are the brand, right? You mm-hmm. are the brand. You are your company's best commercial. Every interaction that you have with a customer either inspires that customer to go out and rave about your company and, and you know evangelize about your company and all of those kinds of things, or mm-hmm. it it has um, the potential to have people go out there and say really negative things about your company and really discourage other people from doing business with you, right? And so you need to treat every interaction like you are a commercial. And I'll tell you something that, you know, especially with larger companies, the, the number of people who do business with them on any given day, okay, for, for larger companies, it's more than the number of people who watch, you know, like primetime network television shows. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can make the most of every one of those interactions, it's better than you paying for commercials during those network television shows. That's right. right. Because you'll create this whole army of people who are going out there and singing your praises. Okay. So that's what I would tell people is to remember that you are the brand. But let me say one last thing on top of that, and that is customer obsession is contagious, mm. right? And so that's the other thing. Remember that customer obsession is contagious. And so you can start a movement, right? And if people watch you do customer obsessed things and see your the customers that you deal with go out 
and post about your their experiences with you and those kinds of things, they will be encouraged and excited to do some of what you do, right? And so you can create a movement by being consistently customer obsessed. You And you know, the thing about it is you got to be always on, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, when you're, when, when you're Superman, you know, you go in that booth and, and you spin around and you come out and you're in that Superman suit, you only do Superman things, right? You know, and, and so my point is that um, when you're, when you step into your role um, and you're engaging with customers, got to think like, I just went into the booth. I changed. I'm in my Superman suit now. All right. I'm only going to do Superman things. I might have had a bad day getting to the office or getting to work, whatever the case might be, but I'm in my Superman suit now. Right. So that's that's what my um, email would say. You are the brand. Customer obsession is contagious. Mm. And be ready when you come out of that booth. Be ready when you come out of that booth. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you so much. And uh, for everybody who is listening to this uh, and uh, highly recommend you connect with this fella on LinkedIn, uh, follow him, buy his book, and uh, he's got some really awesome things to to do. Marbu, I appreciate your time. Appreciate the insight you're bringing and uh, continue to looking forward to, to following your journey. Hey, thank you so much, Nick. I've appreciated our conversation and uh I look forward to uh, continuing to collaborate with you and uh, we'll be in touch. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.